Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Beauties, for many of us, joy and grief are steady dance partners. And if we want to dance, we must also be willing to grieve because we live life on a spectrum that includes a range of emotions. Experiencing hard things is not optional. We must choose hope and joy when we are able to, over and over again. My guest today is the woman who wrote those beautiful words in her beautiful and big-hearted new book, Microjoys, Finding Hope, Especially When Life is Not Okay. Cindy Spiegel is a serial author, motivational speaker, career reinventor, and founder of the social community Dear Grown-Ass Women. She joins me today to dive into Microjoys, how we can hone our ability to experience these glimmers of hope, and how Microjoys can lift us up during grief and loss, and delight us as we move through our day-to-day. Welcome, Cindy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a beautiful intro. Oh, well, most of those beautiful (laughs) words were yours. I so enjoyed this book. It is um, something that I'm going to return to again and again. It is sitting uh, on the side of my bed, and I want to be able to tap into it on those days when I need something to lift me up, because we can all use more joy in our lives. You first began taking note of these microjoys during what was an incredibly difficult year. You experienced back-to-back devastating losses, a major health challenge. I would love to start with some stage setting for our listeners. What was going on in your life that made you choose to actively, intentionally focus on microjoys as a source of solace and support? So it was 2020 that this all started to come to be for me, and I just need to back up for a second to say that in 2018, I wrote a book called The Year of Positive Thinking. And that is really where this shift came in that I'll share with you next, which is in 2020, as we were all in the midst of a global pandemic and at this point still quarantining fully, uh, in March, no, actually it was May of that year, my 32-year-old nephew was killed. Uh, And immediately following the death of my nephew, this was the same week that George Floyd was killed. So Black Lives Matter really took the global stage in a big way. There was so much trauma sort of collectively happening. And the death of my nephew on top of that was, it really just sent me into a spiral. I didn't know how to be the woman who had up until that point been eternally optimistic. You know, the woman who wrote a book called The Year of Positive Thinking that sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I didn't know how to be her in that moment. Um, Four months after that, my beloved mama passed away unexpectedly. Shortly after my mother passed away, my 49-year-old brother, uh, he had a stroke and then he went into cardiac arrest and spent the next two and a half months in the ICU. So if anyone's not familiar with the ICU, you're really not meant to be there longer than a week or two. So 10 weeks is extraordinary. Um, He did thankfully come home and he is still healing to this day several years later. Within a month of him coming home, I was then diagnosed with breast cancer. So it just felt as though in this particular period of time, which by the way, was only 10 months, uh, it felt like life would not stop coming. And I never experienced compound grief in this way in my lifetime. And I remember at that point, it really started after my nephew passed away, kind of being very conscious and aware that I could not be that optimist. I started to notice things that were directly in front of me at any particular moment. So 
one of the earliest memories I have of, of what I eventually went on to call microjoys was the week following his death when we were going through a photo album from his childhood. And in this photo album were all of these ridiculous pictures of him with his big brown eyes and missing teeth and doing all these silly things that children do. And my family and I were sitting there going through this and we were laughing through tears. And to me, that is the ultimate micro joy, right? It's the ability to hold grief in one hand and joy in the other at at any particular moment. And though I didn't have a name for what was happening in that moment, I slowly began to sort of collect these micro joys in different ways. And, and the reason I call them micro joys is, is not because they're small, but simply because they are easily attainable and they are in front of us at any particular moment. So, you know, the first sign of it was looking at pictures and sort of laughing through the tears. And then, you know, I might be walking outside and see that a flower is starting to bloom. So there were all of these micro moments that were directly in front of me that when I was present enough to notice them, they temporarily removed me from my current circumstances, right? It didn't change the fact that my nephew was killed, that my mom had passed away, that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It doesn't change any of that. These micro joys simply allow us to be in the present moment and find joy alongside everything else that is happening. It's such a beautiful practice. And, and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you were in this, you know, cascading tsunami of, 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 of grief and loss and challenges during this 10 month period that you just outlined for us. And, and, uh, I, I'm so sorry for that 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 time that you were suffering, and that these microjoys were something that kind of buoyed you up at different points. When did you uh, say to yourself, "This is something that is beyond my particular story"? You know that this notion of microjoys deserves a, a bigger stage, and the practice of uncovering joy needs to be part of a wider conversation and and be, potentially be turned into a book. When did that happen for you? I started talking about it on social media and using the term microjoys. And very quickly, folks would start DMing me and sharing their own microjoys. Now, that was never my intent. I didn't mean this to be an actual word for an actual thing. It was simply what I was calling the experience that I was having. And it just sort of spiraled and folks continued to DM me, like private message me their own micro joys. I still, I mean, again, I was still in the midst of all of this. I feel like I'm only now starting to move through or move forward, I should say. Um, and what ended up happening miraculously as, as it does is that a publisher reached out to me. Uh, someone, someone who follows me on social media on Instagram said, I'd love to get on a call with you. And I said, sure. And she said, would you ever be interested in writing a book about this? And I was at this place again, it just felt like life kept happening that I just sort of said yes, yes to anything, to most things that felt attainable. I was saying yes to, and that was one of them. And so I put together again, I, you know, at this point, truly, I didn't know that this was a book. I just thought, yeah, I'll, I'll put together a proposal and see what we can come up with. And the second I sat down to write about it, I realized that this was a much bigger mindset shift than I had initially anticipated when I was writing about my own lived experiences. Um, and what was fascinating is that is actually not the publisher I ended up going with. Um, 
my agent pitched it around and the book actually ended up going to auction. And so I think there is this real sort of need at the moment to allow ourselves to feel the multitude of our lived experiences and really find joy within that as opposed to only joy, which is not sustainable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you say at the moment, and I could see why there was this resonated. We were all coming out of a global pandemic. There were all of the, um, you know, the, 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 the racial injustices that sort of exploded in our consciousness again and again and again. And, you know, anyone who's looking at the newspaper today, when you look at the devastation in, you know, Turkey and Syria, it, it just feels like there's a constant cascade of, of um, you know, challenge and sorrow and loss. And, and I love the fact that you, that you sort of identified that, that we can only experience joy because we live in this sort of binary world. Like we can have joy in one hand and, and sorrow in another. I, um, I, I love this notion, too, that joy and grief are intimate dance partners. It allows us to feel, um, at least for me, sort of less sorrowful when I'm experiencing it. I, mm-hmm. I, I would love for you to maybe share with a listener who might be going through something that you went through, a health challenge, a loss. You know, what, what is a prompt that you found in your own life that helps you see these micro joys when you were at your lowest ebb? Yeah, I would say, and again, this isn't a recipe so much for joy, because really my hope of the book is that the readers and the listeners will use this as a guide to find what brings them joy, not necessarily what brings me joy, but something that is at the foundation of micro joys is presence. And what I mean by that is grounding in the present moment. So using your five senses, right? What are you tasting? What are you smelling? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? And you can do this practice from anywhere in a local cafe. You can do it in your house, put your phone down, set the timer for five minutes and simply allow yourself to be present. Notice and and say this out loud if you're able to, what you're seeing in front of you, what you're hearing, what you're touching, what you are tasting. And the reason that this simple action makes a huge difference is because it pulls us into the present moment and temporarily offers us respite from everything else that is happening. It doesn't change the world around us in the sense that those things are going to continue to happen. But this this ability to teach ourselves to be present shifts everything because it truly just sort of pulls us into ourselves at that moment. And it allows us to coexist in this moment of presence, even alongside every difficult thing that is happening. And once we start to do this and really take stock of what's in front of us as we allow ourselves to be present, we start to notice the beautiful things, the weird things, the funny things. But if we are not present, those those ordinary or mundane situations and experiences and things, they just pass us by. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're, you know, we're so busy sometimes with our to-do list or, or you, know, you know, overwhelmed with our sorrow or, or caught up with the, the headlines. And um, it, it can feel hard to focus in on, on what's right in front of us and, and, and keep us connected to what makes us feel alive and human. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I don't think we even in our normal day-to-day lives, we don't always take stock of that. We're just too busy moving and going and moving and going. 
And this is why, you know, when I talk about micro joys, it really is a mindset because at this point, my brain is trained to spot a micro joy anywhere, to seek micro joys everywhere. You know, truly the ability to slow down even for 30 seconds allows our brain to recalibrate and allows us to see the world through a different lens, a lens that really allows for us to see things that we otherwise otherwise would miss. Cindy, we're going to be heading into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to uh, explore with you the idea of how we make this practice sort of habitual, because mm-hmm. oftentimes we can maybe see it and observe a micro joy, but we, we haven't trained ourselves to make it part of our, our day-to-day. You got it. Have you ever successfully set someone up on a date? In my 53 years, I've only ever made one successful match for a friend, which is why I'm so eager to introduce you to the nonprofit Let's Talk Menopause, because I know this is a relationship that's going to work. Let's Talk Menopause is changing the conversation around menopause so women get the information they need and the healthcare they deserve. Understanding menopause is a lot like solving a tough jigsaw puzzle, as there are so many pieces. Menopause can have over 34 symptoms, insomnia, joint pain, low libido, difficulty sleeping, irritability, mood swings, fatigue, brain fog, painful sex, urinary leaks. It is a long list. Visit their website, letstalkmenopause.org, to find all the tools you need the 101s to understanding the physical and mental menopausal changes, information about their public ad campaigns and advocacy work, a downloadable symptoms checklist to share with your doctor, and so much more. Visit letstalkmenopause.org. Together, we can change the change. We're back from the break. You, you, you gave us some ideas um, about using our five senses to observe our, our world more closely, to see these micro joys as they unfold in front of us. Because if, you know, if you're looking, you can find things. Um, but I, I'm wondering about how to make this sort of habitual. And, and I, I wanted to share just a, sort of a quick personal story. Um, my, I had one of my three children went through a, uh, a terrible accident several months ago, had a surgery, recuperated. And during that time, which was so intensely overwhelming, um, I I felt like micro joys were available to me because every time I went to yoga and I could bend over, I felt like like so profoundly grateful because I was watching somebody I love not be able to move. And I felt I felt that very intensely. But, you know, as the recovery has gone on and the healing has happened, you know, I feel like I'm kind of back in my busyness. And sometimes I'm I'm you know, when when life is narrowed to the head of a pin, I think we can really feel grateful for things that are going right or, or, or that sort of the beauty in our world. But when we're back on our busyness, sometimes it starts to escape. You know, do you feel that you've cemented? this micro joy practice in your own life? And, and h- how do we allow ourselves to, to make this more of our, of our day-to-day? Yeah. So to answer the first question, has it been cemented? Yeah, there's, there's no getting rid of micro joys for me at this point. Um, they, they are there and they are, you know, I, I use the word ritualized as opposed to habitual uh, because I haven't, often sounds like it's the same thing day in and day out, and we're reinforcing this thing, whatever that is. These micro joys to me are more about the ritual of opening our eyes to see the world through a different 
lens. And there are many ways, you know, in, in the book, there are 45 essays. And at the end of each essay, there's a consider this section. Every single consider this section is a different way of allowing yourself to see micro joys. You as the reader or the listener will come up with a million other ways to, to seek out micro joys. But some of the examples that I talk about in the book, and again, you know, when we're talking about ritual or habit, it's a, it's a consistent, you know, it's consistently being on the lookout for them. One of the things I talk about in the book that I loved so much was choosing an ordinary place that we visit often and be present for every detail of the experience, right? It's that present moment that I talked about a few moments ago, maybe sitting in your home, but there's an essay in the book called The Spice Shop where I go into a shop that I've been to, you know, hundreds of times before and really allowed myself to be present for it. Two years later, two and a half years later, I can still recall that experience in detail because of how present I was. Something else I talk about in the book is embracing spontaneity. And in this particular instance in the book, it was a last minute trip to India, but it doesn't have to be that, right? You don't have to get on a plane and fly 20 hours across the world to allow yourself to be spontaneous. It might look like your child saying, let's go for a walk or, you know, going for ice cream, whatever it is. And, you know, our day to day is often like, no, I can't, I can't, I'm too busy. Instead of being too busy, allow yourself the time to do those things when you are able to. Uh, so that really, uh, you know, giving yourself the space to do that and the permission to do that, which is maybe more important. Right. This notion of giving yourself permission is something that I think is so, it, it's so key. It's been a, a theme of the show. Women come on and talk about giving themselves permission to do the things that they need to for their careers, to light themselves up, to to find more joy in their lives. And and I think this uh, notion of sort of stepping off our busy treadmill allows us to to give ourselves permission to do exactly what you just identified, to really be, be more present in our lives and not be rushing. You know, th- this, this maybe is a good uh, segue into something that I, I flagged as a quote. Um, you wrote down, quote, that evolving is a very strange thing. You know, simultaneously we're pushed and we're pulled, we're dragged in so many directions that it pulls us apart at the seams. It's awful and feels that in the moment. Sometimes coming undone really is the only way to pick up what remains and shift ourselves forward. And I thought that was so uh, beautiful. I flagged it. I wrote it down. I know that you were specifically talking about you know loss and death, but it struck me that this language around evolving really applies uh, to midlife as well. I mean, the, so yes. much of what you shared in the book I saw as themes that have emerged on this show, right? Women are dealing with changing bodies. You know, our relationships evolve uh, as our our kids grow or perhaps marriages end or marriages are reconsidered. Um, You know, our lives keep morphing. And I'm just curious if, if, you know, what role, if any, did being in midlife yourself play and how you were able to identify and experience micro joys? I think without question, you know, being I'm 45, there's something to be said, I think, about losing a parent, you know, as an adult, as a grown person that makes you it, it's sort of it, there's this deep understanding that you are alone in the world as an adult or it feels that way. There's no question in my mind that everything my physical and I didn't talk about this in the book, but things that my physical body were going through as I was writing this book in many ways, because again, grief in one hand, joy in the other allowed me and really 
it sort of prompted me to want to step away from my changing body, my changing self in moments that I could, you know, these moments of respite, you know, I talk in the book about having to get rid of all of my clothes and, and get new clothing. There's so much about evolving in, in this book in different ways. And I think without question, so much of it is tied to the period of life that I'm in and, because and- it becomes just more transparent to us. What what do you mean when you say transparent? That's such an interesting word. What's yeah. is, it, is it clarifying? Yes. You mean about what's important? What do you mean by yeah? Transparent? Clarifying, clarifying is what I would say. But also, you're seeing this very physical change happening to you outwardly. So you feel it inside, but at this point in your life, you're also physically seeing it. So there's this sort of, and that's what I mean by transparency, right? It's like there's a very physical change that up until that point, I'd pretty much looked the same my whole life. And watching my physical body evolve granted me, I think, access into understanding that what I was feeling on the inside was in fact real. It's, it was sort of a looking on the outside the way I felt on the inside, if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. You're sort of in alignment with... Um... Your, your your internal self, you know, you, you've just jogged a memory. I mean, I'm 53 right now. And I remember I was probably in my early 40s at one point. I'm like, oh, my God, my face is melting, you know, and I was mm. like a little sad about it, if I'm being totally honest. And now I'm like, I don't really care. It's like melted mm. further. <laughs> but like, you know, <laughs> like, and that's Melt all, away. you know, that's all good. It's just, you know, I, I think, that, you know, Everyone gets this show is called a certain age, not because we're being coy about our age, but because mm. um, there is no one magical time where people feel like they're ready to kind of own who they are and, um, you know, just live their lives on their own terms. And I really feel that happens for women at different stages. You know, it could be people going to menopause at different times. And so there, there are these different catalysts that allow you to become more fully yourself and it happens across a variety of ages, but it happens, you know, when you're in this sort of 35, 45, 50, 55, 65 mm-hmm. age frame. And you know, we get to a point where we feel so much more fully ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that is another great theme of the show. And that's why I also flagged another quote from your book, which said, <laughs> quote, who I am has never been quite enough for me. I've assigned myself the seemingly endless task of of attempting to constantly become a better version of myself, a better version of who I was even moments before. And this jumped off at the page at me, you know, because I am a recovering type A perfectionist. I felt very seen when I read that, you know, we sometimes in the hustle culture of, you know, New York or big city living or just America, you know, people are constantly trying to improve themselves. And I'm sure a lot yep. of listeners can relate to this. And I, I'm curious, you know, my, my experience that I shared with one of my children, which felt and was so traumatizing, was not the same level of of, of loss that you experienced. But it, it did change a little bit about how I how I just sort of moved forward with my life and did the process of living through um, loss of practicing these micro joys, you know, has it helped change for you uh, the desire to constantly change yourself? Yes and no. 
You know, the first thing I'll say is you mentioned that what you went through wasn't the same as what I went through. You know, I want us to be mindful of comparing grief okay, and, and folks way of experiencing grief, right? Because what I've come to know is that compound grief, by the way, isn't, isn't this foreign thing. Many, many people go through it and it doesn't matter. Like there is no comparison of one person's grief to another. And many people are going to hear what I went through and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you lived through that. And there are going to be other folks who hear it and say, oh, well, if you think that's bad, this is what I went through. And so I, I always want to be mindful of comparing our grief and understanding or not understanding what other people went through. I think we're all just trying to move through life the best we can and, and terrible things happen to good people. Um, with that said, do I think that going through this experience has made me sort of want to stop making myself better? And I only use those terms because there's a quote in the book about that. Yes and no. I think there's a certain foundation of calm that I didn't have before and of being okay that I didn't have before, but it, it doesn't mean that I don't strive to be excellent and strive <laughs> to do cool things. And, but there is definitely a foundation of acceptance that I did not have before all of this. So there's this feeling almost of this is where I am and I can't change this. And there's this amazing thing that I want to do with my life, but it's not because there's anything wrong with me currently. It's simply because this is another experience I want to have where prior to this, there was almost a feeling of lack, lacking something. So needing that to fill it. And I no longer feel that. I feel like where I am is enough. Uh, and I think going through, I think even coming out of the pandemic, honestly, even if you didn't lose anyone personally during the pandemic, the collective grieving that we are as a society going through has really allowed many of us to understand what is most important. And I think that that's very similar to what I went through. There's a real understanding of what matters and what doesn't. Right. And where I am is enough. Where you are is enough. That doesn't mean we don't want to do cool and interesting things in addition. Yeah. I love that. I love that distinction that, that um, you have this, this sort of underlying foundation of calm that you've been able to access by, by, by moving through hard things. And, and for all of our listeners, we've all you know, experienced the, the, the um, cultural trauma of the, of the pandemic, um, but that we can still want to create and evolve and, and build and, and, and grow in new ways, because that's sort of what that's, that's the magic, you know, to, to, uh, not feel a sense of lack, but want to have a sense of sort of positive evolution, I guess. So mm -hmm. I, I, I love that distinction. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, can we switch gears for a minute? I've been following you on, on social media for a long time. I actually learned about your work, um, I think, through the year of positive thinking. I own that book. Mm -hmm. I've read it. It's also a great touchstone as well for, for people who you know, might want um, just sort of a different way of thinking about a, a joy in their lives. And it's, it's, it's a little different. It's not essays. It's more like sort of daily prompts. And it's just a wonderful bedside book as well, or, or keep it on your desk when you need a little interjection of joy. But one of the themes that you say in the year of positive thinking, a theme you repeat uh, again and again on both your personal social media and uh, on Dear Grown Ass Women is this notion of I am not for everyone and you shouldn't be either. And I think this is um, 
such a fabulous, such a fabulous idea. You 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 articulate it so so well that that you know we we need to fully be ourselves and 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 not be a people pleaser. And is is this something that you uh, has your attitude or approach to this share uh, changed at all in in writing this new book? Is this something that is still sort of a personal mantra? What is your that, take on that? Well- will always be a personal mantra. You know, there's a t-shirt that we have in Dear Grown Ass Women that every day somebody buys and it just says, I am not for everyone, repeated on the front of the shirt. The thing is, is that's something that I really feel like I learned from my mom growing up. You know, she always, I didn't dress like everybody else. I didn't look like everyone else. And she always was so proud of that, you know? And she reminded me, she's like, don't ever change. Don't ever change. Allow yourself to be who you are. Like everyone's not going to like you soon. So don't chase that. So I grew up sort of hearing this over and over again, that it was okay to be different. It was okay to stand out. It was okay for people not to like you, you know? And it wasn't because my, my mother ever wanted me to consciously go out in the world and say, I don't care if you hate me. It wasn't that energy, you know, it was very much the sense of you are an individual and what you stand for and who you are is not going to align with everybody else in the world. You know, now for a little bit of my background, I am a biracial black Jewish woman. And I think so much of hearing that over and over again, growing up was my mom also saying, you know, people aren't always going to understand you. They're not always going to understand what you look like. You may look very different than other people in the room. This is who you are. You are all parts of your mom and your dad. You know, like, And again, this was something I heard from a very young age on a physical level, which is I'm not going to look like a lot of other people and that's okay. And whether people like that or not, like it's not for me to worry about. It's, and I think he, yeah, yeah. Go, no keep going I'm sorry I was I was jumping I was just gonna say you're so lucky to have had parents that that you know share that message with you and, and allowed yeah. you to absorb it on a cellular level at a young yes. age because it takes a lot of women and, and you know you may or may not be experiencing this in your dear grown-ups women community I'd be curious you know I, I know from having women on the show from conversations i have a an instagram platform called let's age out loud where people you know women opt in to share their stories about aging mm-hmm. and i ask in that interview you know what is something you've let go of and you know if there are 50 interviews 25 30 of them have said i've let go of people pleasing mm-hmm. you know because for a lot of women that is sort of baked into the system nice yeah i've i've really come to learn that and truthfully I wouldn't, I I don't know that I was always so aware that this wasn't the norm until much later, I would say maybe even my, I don't, I I can't even put an age around it, honestly, but I just, whenever anyone would ask me about that, you know, this, this idea of like, I'm not for everyone. And the question always comes up, like, how, you know, how did you get that way? But how, like, how did you get to accept that? And I think after getting, but how, but how, but how for a long time, that's really when it started, it it became clear for me that this wasn't normal for everyone. I did not know, like having grown up with a mother who taught me this from such a young age, it never occurred to me that I should try to please everyone else. And by the way, my mom was a pill. You know, I talk about her in the book. (laughs) Shelly had an opinion and she shared her opinion, whether you wanted it or not. And I think even 
bearing witness to my mom's way of taking up space in the world in some ways. You know, it was this constant sort of reminder that like, look, people aren't always going to like you and that's okay. It's it's not an it's not a personal attack on me if somebody doesn't like me. Right. It's but just, it's, it's that's uh, I love that. Yeah, the idea of taking up space and, and sort of seeing your mom just you know be fully herself and and having that be modeled, but also having her say it because the, yeah. you know we 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 see but we also hear and we need to be told these messages and. And um, I sounds like I need to get that T-shirt for myself. And I, I would encourage all of our <laughs> listeners to click clack over to Dear Grown Ass Women and check out the merch because we need to, you know, rep what we what we stand for. And, and if we're not for everyone, you know, we're, we're for ourselves, you know, and, and that I think that is one of the for me, at least, has been one of the uh, amazing things. And, and I, when I was 20 or 30, I would never have thought that I was for, you know, for everyone. And I wouldn't have. Yes. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of myself as a people pleaser, but I really feel that getting to the, like, I feel like I'm on the other side now mm. at the age of 53. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, you know, there were times when you were making yourself smaller, more agreeable or not wanting to rock the boat. And I, and I right. feel like that is, I am done with that, you know, and yes. I'm thrilled. And I, you know, I, I think listeners of the show are sort of done with that too, or they're at least like, getting there. So, you know, this, this, this book and your, your, um, all, all, all the content you share on your social media, I think is something that is just, you know, it is a micro joy, you know, as, you know, Cindy's content is a micro joy that's right in front of you. It's accessible. It's available. Mm-hmm. Um, micro joys are hearing from other women that are sharing their, their, their truth and sharing, um, themselves so generously with the world. That is a micro joy. Um, I, I so love this book. We are nearing the end of our time. So we're going to head into a quick um, speed round because we want to share a little bit more of you, uh, if you're willing. And this is just one to two word answers. We try to end on a high energy note and get people excited uh, as we wrap the show. So um, this is a one to two word answer. Writing micro joys, finding hope, especially when life is not okay, was? Healing and hopeful. Nice. Is publishing a book a micro joy or a macro joy? A micro joy. Time magazine called Micro Joy a must read for February. What was your first reaction to this news? Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love it. Of course it is. Oh my gosh, perfect. Okay, a recur. I know that that everyone else's micro joys are going to be different, but what is a recurring micro joy for you that you can usually count on to lift your spirits? My kitten, love it. Um, have you experienced a, a new or relatively surprising micro joy? Yes. And what would that be? A new toenail polish color. Ooh, love it. <laughs> I, I get that too. I, I so rarely get manicures that when I look at my fingers and they're polished, that is definitely a micro joy. It'll um, light you up. <laughs> um, grief may lose its potency, but it never goes away. Is there a a prompt from the book, a particular micro, micro joy, or even simply something that you do as a lifestyle choice that centers you when you're feeling these waves of deep grief? I remind myself often that this too shall pass. Nice. Perfect. What do you want a reader to feel or experience where they are done with this book? Hopeful. Finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence, as I age, I feel. Glorious. 
Nice. That is such a beautiful word and a beautiful note to end on. Thank you, Cindy. This has been such a treat. I love um, your writing. I love following you on social media and spending time with you. I was going to say in real life, but we're, you know, we're on, we're on microphones. This is like spending time with you on Zoom life has been an absolute treat. Uh, so before we say goodbye, how can our listeners keep following you, you know, learn more about Dear Grown Ass Women and find your books? They can come on my website, cindyspiegel.com. They can also find me on Instagram at Cindy Spiegel. Really just Google Cindy Spiegel and I'll come up. Perfect. Do buy Microjoys. Yes. And not only buy Microjoys, write a review because reviews really matter. Mm -hmm. I know this from having other authors on the show. I interviewed 21 authors last year. It really makes a difference. So make this book uh, part of your life. Get on Amazon, get on bookshop.org and share why it's made a difference for you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Thank you for tuning in and being a friend of the show. And before we say goodbye, a quick favor. Speaking of reviews, I would love a written review over on Apple Podcasts. Yes, the star ratings help, but written reviews are truly killer. You can share what you learned, why you tune in, mention a favorite guest, or let us know if Certain Age makes you feel happier, smarter, or more inspired. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.